Two weeks ago, we went to Estes Park, and I've been there before, but this trip was unlike any other trip. This trip was different. I'd only ever been there before for the fly convention, the youth convention out in Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies. If you've been out there, you know that it's a gorgeous campus surrounded by mountains on every side. There's one mountain that sticks out above the rest, Long's Peak. And since it was far enough away from the campus that we weren't allowed to climb it during the time when we were there, it was never on my radar. Instead, I was looking at Eagle Cliff and Bible Point and Emerald Mountain and all these other mountains that we could climb, but not Long's Peak. It was never on my radar, but it was on someone else's radar. Hannah's dad, Peter, had told us where to find it. Every time that we went out to the fly convention, he said, now look for Long's Peak. It should be in this general area. And it went in one ear and out the other because it meant nothing to me. But it was a special mountain for him. This time that we went out to Estes Park, we went with Hannah's parents. And Hannah's dad was able to show us Long's Peak. And so now I can show you where Long's Peak is as well if we go out there at the same time together. But beforehand, I thought Long's Peak is just another mountain. It's nothing special, but it was special to Peter. And not only is it special to Peter, it's a special mountain. It's the 15th highest in Colorado. But it's special to Peter because he and Judy and their friends climbed it when they were living out there. And he wanted to share with us the memories that this mountain had. And so he shared it with us. And each place we went... He would point out, you can see Long's Peak from here. There it is. He got his bearings from this giant mountain. On our trip, we were also able to point out the special places to us from the fly convention at the YMCA. All these different places that he'd only ever heard about, and now he got to see. It was a fun trip. It was good to be able to share things that were important to us and to learn more about one another. This morning, we're going to look at the most important, one of the most important things in John the Baptist's life. The most important thing, the very purpose of his life, John shows us this morning. He begins his message in our text this morning with the word, Behold. It's a command for all people, for his audience to stop what they're doing and to look and to stand in awe at this amazing thing. But what is it? What is it that John the Baptist is pointing out? What does he want them to behold? What does he want us to behold? What does he want all people to behold? There are two things that John wants us to see. Follow along as I read John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, and and look for these two things that John is pointing out. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, reading in Jesus' name. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open our hearts to see you. And Lord, let us behold you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) 
The first thing that John points out shouldn't be hard for us to see. You just got to read the first sentence there in our text. It's right at the beginning of this message. Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. John wants us to see the Lamb of God. John wants his disciples, the people that are gathering with him at the river, to see the Lamb of God. He points them in their direction. And there's massive significance to that title. When you and I hear Lamb, we probably don't think the same things that this audience thought. When you hear Lamb, what do you think of? Anybody? Marriage? I need to get my hearing checked. Murray. Okay, we think of Murray. We think of sheep. (laughs) Sorry. We think of all kinds of different things when we think of sheep. I think of a cute little baby animal, a helpless little thing. I think of this animal bouncing around with all kinds of energy, all these different things. Maybe you think of a livelihood. Maybe you think of a hobby. Maybe you think of a blank canvas for this year's fair that you can show off. But to a Jewish audience, a lamb had a bit more significance. It wasn't just a livelihood. It wasn't just a pet to show off at the 4-H fair. To the Jewish audience, it was so much more. A lamb was a protection from the destroyer on the first Passover, when the Lord took the firstborn of all of those who didn't have lamb's blood on the doorposts of their house. A lamb was required for a sin offering. It was protection from God's wrath for their sin. The very title, Lamb of God, immediately points this audience to a sacrifice. You can't picture Lamb of God without thinking of a sacrifice. But a sacrifice for what? John here, as he is saying, behold the Lamb of God, he's saying to those people around him, behold the sacrifice. The people are thinking, the sacrifice for what? And John tells us, who takes away sin. And the Jews knew of sin. They knew that they were sinful for disobeying God, that they had done things that God told them not to do. They knew that they were sinful for not doing the things that God had told them to do. This is sin by definition. Disobeying God is sin. And they knew about it, just like you and I know when we sin. We know when we disobey God. God doesn't take sin lightly. He doesn't tolerate it, not one bit. Even if you live 99 years of a perfect life and mess on just one thing, it's still guilty, and you're still a sinner. You're not perfect. But God gave us a way to deal with sin. Ultimately, this way of dealing with sin was once and for all this Lamb of God who takes away sin. He doesn't just cover it up. He doesn't just say, forget about it. He takes it away. The Jews were aware of all the sacrifices that were necessary to deal with their sin. God's word was very clear. It was very specific. They knew all the different rituals, all the different things needed to offer a sacrifice for sin. Yet his word also tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to forgive sin, to take away sin. These sacrifices were only as good as they pointed forward to the one true sacrifice that would happen. And if that sacrifice never happened, That sacrifice never came. All those sacrifices were for naught. They would do nothing. But these sacrifices, as they looked forward ahead, as they trusted in the Lord to provide for this Lamb of God, to provide this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, 
They were valid to take away their sin. But these sacrifices, their blood ran out. These sacrifices had to be offered again and again and again and again. Every time they sinned, it wasn't, oh, I guess I screwed up this time. Every time they sinned, the thought was, well, there goes another lamb. There goes another lamb and another lamb and another lamb. It was expensive to sin. It had repercussions. They knew what it meant to sacrifice for sin. But here, John is proclaiming to this crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away sin once and for all. This is the man who will deal with it. And whose sin? He says the sin of the world, the sin of every person who ever lived, the sin of every person who ever would live, whoever will live. John is saying that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes it away. My sin, your sin, everybody's sin. John's letting everyone know here that this is the Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Here is the one that the scriptures have been pointing to. Here is the one who will finally and ultimately be the sacrifice for sin once and for all. And sin will finally be dealt with. In this man, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as the people begin to look up and to see who this Lamb of God is, they look up and who is it that they see? They see Jesus. Jesus, the carpenter's son. Jesus, the relative of this crazy man who's at the river baptizing and preaching repentance. Jesus, the one who was baptized not too long ago. Jesus, the one who they were aware of, who they knew, who they probably rubbed shoulders with before. He's the one who's going to take away the sin of the world. He's nothing special. He's just like us, just like you, just like me. This is what the people would have thought. John, you mean to tell me this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? But Jesus wasn't just like us. Jesus was something special, someone special. Jesus was and is different. And John points that out in the next verse in our text. He says, this is he. On behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. He existed before me. If you remember the Christmas story, and you remember when John's mom, Elizabeth, was here and was pregnant with child, Mary goes to Elizabeth to spend time with her. Elizabeth is much, more, much farther along in her pregnancy than Mary is at this time. John was born first. But here John is saying, Jesus is older than me. How does that make any sense? John is saying here that Jesus existed before me. But if you look at the birth account, Jesus was born afterwards. But John is acknowledging who Jesus is in this statement. John knew Jesus. But he didn't fully understand who he was until after Jesus was baptized. He tells us in verse 31, he says, I did not recognize him. And as he says that, yes, he recognized Jesus. He knew that this was his relative. But him, he's talking about the Messiah. I didn't recognize the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when I saw Jesus. Until this moment where he says, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him. Again, I didn't recognize him as the Lamb of God. But he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. 
John knew his mission. He knew his ministry. He knew his purpose in life was to prepare the way of the Lord and to point people to the Messiah. But he didn't know who the Messiah was until this moment. He didn't know who this man was until God revealed it to him at Jesus' baptism. But John began to prepare the way, preaching repentance and baptizing for the forgiveness of sin. And in Matthew's account, when Jesus comes down to be baptized by John, John says, Jesus, you don't need to be baptized. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, this is necessary. Permit it, for this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus came up from the water, the text says this, the heavens were opened, and John saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John baptized Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. And in so doing, he saw that Jesus was the man for which he came to prepare the way for. He saw that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fully understood and knew who Jesus was in that moment. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who existed before him. He saw this event with his own eyes and now here in John chapter 1 he is testifying about it to this crowd that's gathered at the river. This Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the Son of God. Not just a man, not just a good man, not just a good teacher, but John says here, this is the Son of God. Behold, the Son of God. This Jesus is not an ordinary man. And while he is, in fact, fully human, he is also, in fact, fully God. And the blood that ran through Jesus' veins wasn't just man's blood, it was the very blood of God. Man's blood wouldn't be able to atone for much. Man's blood doesn't even atone for man's own sin. Now, sure, it was the price required when you took a life. By man's blood, man's blood shall be shed. But it didn't cover any sin. It didn't forgive it. It didn't erase it. And it didn't make it right. It was just. If Jesus were just a man... If Jesus were just a prophet, if Jesus were just a good teacher, if Jesus were just an example for us, his blood would mean nothing. His sacrifice would have been the same as a soldier taking a bullet for another soldier. It doesn't save the other soldier. It maybe spares him for a moment, but that's it. While it gives the soldier temporary protection, it doesn't save. It doesn't cover sin. It doesn't make things right with God. It doesn't take away sin, and it doesn't pay the penalty. God's law required that blood be shed to forgive sin. Yet God can't bleed. He's spirit. But God fixed that problem, and he solved that problem when he sent Jesus, God's own son, the son of man and the son of God. He was just what we needed. Praise be to God that Jesus Christ is, in fact, true man, and that he is, in fact, true God, and so his blood was effective, and his blood did, in fact, take away the sin of the world. Our Lutheran confessions teach this in the formula of Concord. It says this, For if I believe that only the human nature suffered for me, then Christ would be a poor Savior for me. In fact, he himself would need a Savior. But this person is truly God, and therefore it is correct to say that the Son of God suffers. 
For the Son of God truly is crucified for us, i.e., this person who is God. It could be called God's dying, God's martyrdom, God's blood, God's death. For God in his own nature cannot die. But now that God and man are united in one person in Jesus Christ, it is called God's death. When, he, when the man dies, who is one substance or one person with God. So as we look at the cross, it wasn't just Jesus the man dying. It was Jesus the God-man dying and paying the penalty for our sin. It wasn't just man's blood on the cross. It was the very blood of God as well. Jesus is the Son of God, true man and true God. Numerous times throughout Scripture, God's Word tells us that Jesus is God. In the narrative of the birth of Christ, he's called God's Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, was God. John says that here in his Gospel. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus Christ. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and even at his crucifixion, the Roman soldier says, this is God's Son. It was obvious to people that Jesus was more than a man. He was, in fact, God's Son. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. And even here in our passage, John is pointing this out for all to see, for the people gathered at the river, saying, Behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, he is truly the Son of God. He is God. And that day at the river, John was able to point out to all who were around him the most important thing in the history of the world, the most important thing in his life, the whole reason and purpose for his life. He was able to point out the Messiah. And as they looked up, from John to see this person who was coming their way. And as they saw Jesus, he still looked like an ordinary man. There wasn't anything special about his appearance. He didn't come wearing a cape. He didn't come chiseled like the superheroes are. He was just a normal man. Yet as they looked at Jesus, they beheld the Lamb of God. As they looked at Jesus, they beheld God's one and only Son. As they looked at Jesus, they saw the face of God. When you see Jesus, what do you see? Do you see a good teacher? Someone who teaches us how to live our lives, someone who lived a good life on this earth, and someone who we should model our own lives after? Do you see a prophet? Someone who came to talk about a, a higher power, Someone who came to point us in the direction of something greater than ourselves. Do you see an extraordinary man who had a couple of pretty neat magic tricks up his sleeve, doing miracles? Is that what you see? Do you see a second-class God? Someone who's not the God, but maybe a God. Maybe he's one of many deities. What do you see when you see Jesus? This morning, we too have the privilege beholding the Lamb of God, the one who has taken away our sin. We have the privilege of standing in awe of Jesus, the Son of God. Now, he doesn't stand before us this morning as a man as I'm standing before you today, but he still comes to us. He comes to us through his word. And as we read about who Jesus is, 
as we read about this work that he came to do to be the Lamb of God, to save us from our sins, admit your sin and confess that to him and find forgiveness that he came to accomplish. And as Christ comes to us through his word, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who came to bleed for you. And as we behold the Lamb of God, forgiveness is not only possible, but forgiveness is yours in Christ. As Jesus comes to you through his word, behold him as the true Son of God. Because he is the Son of God, his blood means something to us. And his blood does something. And he is able to save forever those who trust in him. He will not pass away. He will not fade away. His blood does not run out and his blood does not dry up. And because he is God, his sacrifice stands once and for all. Behold your Savior. Behold your God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word points us to your Son. That Jesus, you are a true man and you are a true God. Thank you for all of the prophecies that you came to fulfill. Thank you, Lord, for being God and man, for being just what we needed, being a man to die for our sins and for being God to pay the penalty for our sins. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live our lives in view of this fact, that you would help us to behold you as our Savior, to behold you as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for my sins. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to live our lives in view of this truth and to point others to who you are and to what you have done for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.